0: I have met just about everybody in here. If not, um, my name is Greg Baker. I am a member here at Grace Bible, and I get to, to teach our middle school ministry that we call The Bridge. And every once in a while, I get the privilege for, of preaching for Pastor Chad. And today, that privilege is going to be continuing our sermon series through uh, the Book of Lamentations and looking at what it means to lament in light of who God is and in light of what he has taught us in his word. And so Chad has spent the last three weeks walking us through the book of Lamentations, and this morning we're going to riff on that just a little bit. Um, We're going to look at kind of one more specific piece of lamenting, and we're going to do that by reading through and looking at one of the Psalms. Now, those of you who listen to a lot of sermons, whether those be Chad's or anyone else's, will know that it's very common to structure a sermon around a question. Very often as we look to the scriptures, we look to God's word, and we want to learn from a passage there is just so much there that we need something to help us focus. We need something to narrow the scope just a little bit, and a question is often the way we can do that. And so, Chad will often come up, and it's the very first thing he says. He gets up here, he looks out, and he asks the question, When is the last time you wept? He asked us three weeks ago. Two weeks ago, he asked, Is God against me? Is he frustrated with me? Is he angry with me? Does he despise me? And last week... Chad talked through and worked through the question of does God want to punish me or does God want to save me? We're going to ask a question. We're going to ask the question, what does it look like like for a believer to lament over their sin? What does it look like for a believer to lament over their sin and how does the Lord use that lamenting. So again, I would ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalm and chapter 51, where the heading reads, for the choir director, a Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. Now, not all Psalms have a heading quite like that one. Not all Psalms have a heading that take us to a very particular time and place, a a specific setting. And so, since we do have a heading like that this morning, I want us to think a little bit about it, a little bit about that context. You see, this is a Psalm of David, and this is not just any David. This is King David. This is the young boy who killed a giant. This is the musician who calmed an evil king. This is the warrior exile running away from that same king and winning the hearts of his people. He's the shepherd boy who came to rule and to reign over Israel and to expand its borders further than any other. He was the king that Moses talked about all the way back in Deuteronomy in chapter 17, a king who God chooses who writes down the word of the Lord on a scroll and carries it all the days of his life, reading it over and over and over that he may learn to fear the Lord his God. At heights, he was a part of and delivered a betrayal that is rivaled by few others in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel, we, chapter 11, we read this really horrific story. The kings have gone out to war as they do at that time of year, but David doesn't go out to war. He's not where he's supposed to be. He's not out being the king he's supposed to be. He's home. And he goes out onto his roof and he sees a woman there. A beautiful woman from a family that he would have known. A family who would have served him and loved him. And he takes her. He takes her, and she becomes pregnant, and he kills her husband to cover it up. And it's from right there, it's from that point when Nathan, the prophet that we have to have, as we read as David is crying out to the Lord. Verse 1, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me against you. You alone I have sinned and done this evil thing in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, or turn your face away from my sins, and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed. God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem." then you will delight in righteous sacrifice whole burnt offerings then bowls will be offered on your altar let's pray <clears throat> dear heavenly father we love you we are so thankful for this morning for who you are that you are a holy and a gracious god full of compassion full of steadfast love. As we peer into the depths of David's sin this morning and reflect on the sin within our own hearts, we are made all the more thankful that you are the opposite, that you are blameless, you are good, you are consistent, you are faithful. We ask you this morning that you please be in this place, that you would send your Holy Spirit God, we come before you just like David. Help us to feel about our sin the way that David felt about his sin, that we may come ever closer to you, Lord. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So as we move through the text and we're answering our question, um, and we're looking at the ways and the manner in which David laments about his sin, I want us to first look at the way that David confronts his sin. How many of you guys have kiddos? Okay. How many of y'all with kiddos have caught them in the act of doing something wrong? Equal, same, all, all the people, right? And how many times, when you catch them doing something wrong, you get this kind of story? Hey, uh, you know... Uh, um, I really did take out every single toy that I own and put it all over the floor of the whole house. But I just love all my toys so much. And I was going to pick them all up. and, And, you know, I was just so thankful for all my toys. And I wanted to treat them all the same and be fair. Like, everybody knows that story. Everybody can see that little boy or that little girl. But too often, I think that's exactly what our hearts look like when we confront our sin. We deflect, we justify, we diminish, we push it away. And to what end? As if God doesn't know. As if we're any different than that little kid with their hand in the cookie jar trying to pull it out really, really slow. It's the same. But if we look at Psalm 51... David looks very different than that. Cleanse me from my sin, he says. I am conscious of my rebellion. My sin is always before me. I have done evil in your sight. David is not playing games with his sin. David is not skirting around the edges of his sin. He is confronting his sin and hating his sin and grieving over his sin his rebellion, his transgression. In Hebrew, he uses four different words to describe what he has done against the Lord in the first five verses. It is heavy in his life. And at certain points, it's it's clear David isn't just confessing about this one sin or this group of sins. David is not just sorry about what Nathan came to talk to him about. David is dealing with that he's totally purify me with hyssop. Wash me. God, I am dirty. I am sinful all the way down to my core. David is confessing and feeling that, yes, he's done something wrong. But David is also dealing with the fact that that's not the exception to the rule. That is the rule. That is the rule. Church, faithful limit is over your sinful state, not just the way that your sinful state played out this time. But, church, there still was this time. There still was this sin. There is this sin that is always before me. There is this sin that plays in our minds over and over. There is this sin that nags. At my heart, in David's case of you, may not have a physical representation. I'm guessing that they're there. I'm guessing that there are sins in your life that play over and over. And I'm guessing that maybe that's happened because you're not confronting those sins. You are skating around those sins. You are diminishing those sins, neglecting those sins, trying to push those sins under the rug. Dr. Derek Thomas, he's a pastor and a theologian, he, he says this, David is also thinking of very particular things that he has thought and done. Sins have names. In that sense, they are identifiable, they are specific, such as, quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, disorder, idolatry, Corinthian church and the Galatian church. And Paul didn't write them down just to take up space. He didn't write them down just to fill up, get to three pages. He gives them because our sins have names. He gives them because if we're going to feel the weight of our sin, if we're going to hate our sin, if we're going to lament over our sin, then we have to know our sin and we have to name our sin. So we confront sin. We also have to know something about our sin. The second thing that David teaches us here is that true faithful lament is informed by the word of God. Faithful lamenting is informed by the Scripture. If we are to feel about our sin the way David does, then we have to understand something about who God is, something about who we are, and something about the penalty that we are to bear when we fall short of His demands for us. In verse 4, God says that He has sinned against God and God alone. And at first glance, that seems a little odd. He certainly did something against Bathsheba. He certainly did something against Uriah. David's not diminishing that. David just understands what's really going on. David knows better than most the earthly consequences of his sin. He would have had to watch Bathsheba grieve over her dead husband, he would have had to watch as his baby with Bathsheba dies. He would have had to watch as his sons and daughters fall further and further into chaos and betrayal and of God. He also knew that he was chosen by God to be king over his chosen people. I mentioned Deuteronomy 17 earlier. I want to read it for us now. It says in verse 18, When he is seated on his royal throne, he is to write a copy of this instruction for himself. On a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It is to remain with him, and he is to read it, read from it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to observe all the words of this instruction, and to do these statutes. David knew, like few others, the extent of God's holiness. David knew, like few others, the expectation of holiness from God's creatures. He knows that that's what sin is. He knows that sin is far and dire. It's not that they aren't bad. It's not that they aren't horrible and terrible and dark. It's that the stakes are so much higher when we think about a holy God. Against you, You alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. David is feeling the weight of God's judgment against sin. David knows that he needs to be cleansed because he knows God. David's sin is ever before him because he knows David. He has hidden God's word in his heart so he can see this enormous gap. Number two, we are going to let God's word tell us what our sin is and what the penalty is and how we should think about it and understand it. But number three, a lamenting follower of Christ yearns for what is missing. They yearn for what is missing. Let's look again at the text starting in verse 6. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. In verse 10, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit for me. And verse 12, restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. David isn't just down. He isn't just sad. He isn't just heavy laden because of what he has done. He is grieving because of what he gave up, what he chose that over. Believers desire fellowship with the Heavenly Father and they feel its absence when there is sin present in their lives. Again, we have to try and put ourselves in David's shoes. When he cries out, I feel hopeless. Give me back the hope of your salvation. My spirit is weak. Renew. Give me back the steadfast spirit that was within me. My heart is tainted and dirty and far from you. Clean it, God. Wash me as white as snow. Bring me back close to you. David's pain is about what he's done against God, but also because David misses God. See enough of your life that you really notice when there's a gap there? Is closeness with God a normal enough thing for you that you notice as the cavity gets wider? Do you recognize when you're far from Him? David certainly did, and I think that's that's a key part of what it means for a believer to really lament their sin. It is to understand that God's comfort and blessing and just being close with Him is so much better than the... St- Stupid, selfish desires that we chose over Him. But there is more than that. It goes deeper than that. Certainly those things are true, that we have to confront our sin and that we have to do it with God's Word in mind. More for the believer, because for the believer, remorse is never the end. Remorse is never the full picture. Irene Son, a writer for the Gospel Coalition, says this, Guilt and remorse are weighty things, but they are not enough to break the prideful heart. We are broken only by the steadfast love of Yahweh and the weight of His glory. A lamenting heart, church, is a broken heart, And a broken heart is the result of seeing Yahweh. She goes on to say that the broken and contrite heart is the work of the Holy Spirit. As new covenant believers, we can know and we can trust that our grief, our lamenting, that is the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And that's our hope, right? We're not grieving just to grieve. We're not sad because sadness is good in and of itself. We aren't broken without hope. That's what Psalms 51 is really trying to teach us. It's the opposite of that. It's that faithful lament, it leads us to repentance. Faithful lament leads us to repentance. It leads us to turn back and to trust evermore in the faithful consistency of God. Listen to the way that David opens this book. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from And merciful God to forgive him. Just like... David knew the depths of his sin. He knows that God's mercy is the antidote. He knows that he can turn back to a God who will love him and who will say, Welcome home. And again, he's not doing that just pulling these words out of his own brain. He's doing that because he's hidden the word of God in his heart. Read for me. This is Exodus 34. The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. The Lord pressed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slowed to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, forgiving rebellion and sin. Compassion. He knows that his sin can be overcome by his loving Heavenly Father. But church, how much more should we know that? How much more should we recognize that on this side of the cross? How much easier should it be for us to beg God forgiveness? Because we don't just get to read the Psalms. We don't just get to read Exodus. We get to read 1 John. It says, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of our unrighteousness. David is bought in. He knows that this grief and misery is part of the process. He knows that he's going to have to fight and hate his sin. He knows that this isn't on accident. David knows that just as God was sovereign over his battles and his wars, just as God was sovereign over the rocks flying out of his... Sustain me. God, purify me. God, cleanse me. God, restore the hope of your salvation. Lord, you open my lips to, to praise you. David gets it. But again... How much easier should it be for us to embrace our grief? How much more can we trust that God is near us in our lament? We that have the Holy Spirits living within us, us that get to read from the book of James, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable be miserable and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom humble yourselves before the lord and he will exalt you but there's more see just as david he had this great hope that when he confronted his sin that God was going to bring him back, that if he hated his sin, that if he trusted in the Lord, God was going to bring him back. Look at every single time with me that David talks about the future, about what will happen. And it's not just that he'll be forgiven. It's not just that he'll be restored. It's that there's going to be more. He's going to sing. He's going to praise. He's going to worship. He's going to serve the Lord again. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be white as snow. Give me a willing spirit, and I will teach the rebellious your ways. And sinners will return to you. Save me from your... He's bringing him back and putting David back on mission. He's bringing him back and allowing David to do the things that he loves so much. To sing praises to the Lord. To worship the Lord. To serve the lord so we ask the question what does it look like for a believer to lament to lament over their sin it looks like the beginning of repentance it looks heavy it looks dark to confront our sin it looks dark to hate our sin But it is the Holy Spirit that takes us into that darkness so that we will hate our sin. So that we will turn from our sin. So that we will turn back to the Lord. So that... I'm going to pray in a few minutes. And the band is going to come up. We're going to move into a really special time of the service where we're going to get to take communion together. Um, If you're a believer here this morning, um, you're invited to do that with us, whether you're a member of our church or not. But if you aren't a believer, we would ask you to refrain, Um, not because we don't want you at the table with us. We desperately want you at the table with us. Um, But because it does mean something very specific and something very special to us, And without that, it's just a cracker and just some juice. But before we do that, before we take of our communion, um, Jared is going to lead us in a prayer. He's going to lead us in a prayer of confession. And as he does that, I want you to really think. I want you to think about the ways in which and the degree to which your sin affects you. Maybe you're here this morning with wringing hands and a troubled heart. Maybe you walk through these doors with an enormous weight upon you, and I would say to you that there are untold mercies at this table. I would say that the same God that saved David from murder and from adultery sent his son to live the life that you couldn't live and to die on the cross for your sins too. I would say that if you feel crushed by the weight of your sin, it's okay. You're just like David. But there's a clean heart for you, there's deep wisdom for you, there is a renewed spirit for you, there is singing and any weight. Maybe sin has lost some of its sting in your life. And then I would say, don't be fooled. It is not gone. Don't be lulled into complacency over your sin. It is serious, it is real. Don't let yourself fall into the trap of, oh, it's not a real problem. Oh, it's not really hurting anyone. Oh, I, I apologize to someone. We're all good. Sit in your sin, name your sin. Confront your sin knowing how serious it is, but how serious the Holy Spirit is about using that to bring you home. Dear Heavenly, we thank you for the way that you have taught us, the way that you are teaching us, the way that you love us and guide us back to you even using the worst parts of us. We thank you that you're not surprised by our sin, that you're not surprised by the things that we do wrong, but we do ask that you would continue to remove those from our lives, that through this iterative process of sin and confession and turning back, that you would make us more like your son every day. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.